As we continue our studies in 1 Samuel, uh, it is amazing to think that God speaks. God is speaking. The living word is here because the living word is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's been speaking to us today together as we've worshipped him, as we've heard how he's moved in people's hearts and lives through testimony, through people joining our church and its mission, realizing that we're serving Christ together, such a joy, dedicating children to the Lord and the responsibility to raise them up. What a good day it's been. Would you pray with me, and then we'll look into God's word together. Lord God, as we do look into your written word, your inspired word, the words you want us to read and to know, to see, to hear, to believe, to obey. Oh, Lord, give us hearts to hear what we each need to hear today, whether it be as an individual, meet the needs of every heart here, what we need to hear together as a body of believers, as the bride of Christ, as a local church. Oh, Lord, help us today, we pray. Open our ears and our minds and our hearts to hear your word today. Speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. For your honor and glory, we ask these things. Amen. Turn with me in your Bible, uh, the Pew Bible, or on your cell phone, or that worn-out Bible you love to carry, to 1 Samuel chapter 2. Be reading verse, beginning at verse 12 and reading through verse 21. Let's give attention to God's word together. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, a servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no. If you hand it over now, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod, each day his mother would make him a, each, each year, excuse me, his mother made him a little robe and took a tomb when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home, and the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. God is speaking. Are we listening? <laughs> Last week we talked uh, or looked at Hannah's prayer song, a prayer song of praise that described how God is working among the world, among his people, among believers and unbelievers, and how he deals with them patiently and graciously. And for those who take on God's yoke, we've been looking at that verse in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus has the invitation to take his yoke of grace 
And those who do take on that yoke of Christ find him lifting and sharing that burden, the burdens we carry. Those are the righteous people who humble themselves and believe and take that yoke. And the unrighteous people, well, unrighteous people, unbelievers, we were all in that place at one time. We're carrying their own yoke, looking their own way, doing things themselves. But God is gracious, and his judgments are just and fair, but he's patient and merciful. He's the sovereign king. Today we move on in this study, and we begin to see how Hannah's overture that introduced all the themes that are going to play out in the book of Samuel begin to play out in people's lives. Are they looking to God? Are they humbling themselves? Or are they proud and self-righteous and going their own way? And what happens to those who choose God? Let him triumph over them. And those who, re- those who accept it and those who refuse it, what happens to them? So let's look again at verse 12. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. God has brought Samuel into the picture so that we set him side by side with Eli and his household and his sons to see the comparisons. These Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. That's a strong word. And it puts it right next to Samuel. Look at verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord. So we get this picture. Here's Samuel ministering as little as he was. And then we have Eli's sons in verse 12. They were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Look at verses 17 and 18. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Older men, a young boy, in comparison. Again, at verse 25, we didn't read that yet, but look at it now, verse 25 and 26. Eli speaking to his sons, if a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him, but if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. By the way, just a little note there. Look at chapter 2 in Luke, verse 52. And Jesus grew up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with men. So Samuel's this foreshadowing picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to verse 12, Eli's sons were wicked men. That's a word, a Hebrew word, Bilal, that's later used for the name of Satan. It's a word Hannah used when she told Eli when she was praying and he accused her of being a wicked woman. She said, no, I'm not a wicked woman. It's the same word. She didn't want to be identified with the women that are described a little bit later on in this chapter who were serving at the temple. It says they had no regard for the Lord. To have regard for the Lord or to have a heart for the Lord means you, you, uh, have a, you think about God. You point toward God. He's the one you indicate as your leader. 
It means you know him or you have experiences with him. And it says here that Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had no personal knowledge or experience with God. As priests, you see, they had the privilege, a calling to lead people to God. They were to be mediators for people. So when people came to Shiloh, to the tabernacle, to sacrifice, they were to instruct them about God's law and his demands and his holiness and the character of God. They were to talk about mercy, and if they, these people sacrificed in humble faith, believing that God would forgive their sins, that they needed forgiveness, that God would give them mercy. They had this privileged position to do that, but they had nothing to do with it. They had no regard for the Lord. They were to correct and to give hope, to talk about God's forgiveness, to talk about God's holy character so it would put fear in people's hearts so that they would think about, I need to change my life. But they could not, they would not, because they did not know the very God they said they served. They had nothing to do with him. Their faith was empty, it was dead. No fear of God. They didn't value the things of God. They only cared about the world. Do you know your priest? Jesus is the great high priest. In the book of Hebrews, it says that he's the one who died for our sins. He sacrificed. He himself was the sacrifice that makes a way for us to enter heaven. And he's entered heaven, and he sits at God the Father's right hand. He's in his very presence, and he stands there now and intercedes as the mediator for, for all those who would believe in him. Timothy, or Paul wrote to Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. That's the gospel of God, the good news of God, that we can have sins forgiven, that Jesus, who is fully God, became fully human so that he could be the perfect priest that would mediate for us. He knows what it's like to live in this world. He was tempted as we were without sin, so he can be the perfect priest that mediates for us before God the Father, that instructs us, and anyone who looks to him in believing faith can know and receive his life and walk with God. Priests were given by God to lead people to God. And Jesus is that ultimate high priest. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the prophet that teaches us the truth. No false things ever cross his lips. He's the priest that paid for our sins, died for our sins, was raised to life, and now he's alive interceding for us. He's the king who's going to reign in righteousness one day. And you and I have the privilege of being priests, to being the mediator between those who don't know God so that they can know God, to instruct them, to show them how to live. You're a royal, a chosen people, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. The Apostle John in his doxology of praise to Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 says this, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. So that's who we are. And we need to take our position seriously. Don't take it lightly or ignore it, because let's do them opposite. Phineas and Hophni, 
took it lightly. And we're going to see what happens to them. God was speaking to them, and they weren't listening. No matter your station in life, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are, no matter where you work or what your interests are, you're Christ's representative, and you're a go-between to point people to Jesus Christ. We're frontline ministers. I'd like you to meet Chloe, Ed, and Chris. Chloe is a student. She's been told that God will use her after she leaves university. She's excited by that prospect, but because she's been told her real mission will be after she leaves, she's not really thinking about how God might work through her now, except in evangelistic conversations. Ed works in a factory. He's bored, and he's been praying for a new job for two years. He wants to do something for God, become a worship leader, perhaps, Ed thinks his mission is somewhere else, and because he thinks his mission is somewhere else, he's not really thinking about how he could be fruitful for God where he is. Chris has just turned 60 and is involved in her local church. She's had arthritis for over 30 years, painful, limiting, confidence sapping. And for a good amount of that time, Chris has needed hydrotherapy sessions at the local swimming pool, and she hasn't really been thinking about how God might want to work through her there. One day, pretty much like any other, Chloe discovered that God could work in and through her at the university in a rich variety of ways. Yes, in conversations, but also in seminars and in writing essays and in sharing a flat and in finding a creative way to help her friend get the lectures she really needed to get to. And one day, Ed realized that if God wasn't giving him a new job, he must have something he wanted him to do right where he was. And he began to see what that was. He started to get in a bit earlier for a shift, and he looked for ways to bless people, to befriend people, and to pray for them. And over time, he saw God working. And one day, Chris realized that she had a front line, a place of ministry and mission, and it was the people she met in the hydrotherapy pool, the people she got to know over many years, people with whom she had something significant in common, people she actually got into the pool with people that God had uniquely gifted her to reach. Her illness was no, longer, no longer made her a victim. It gave her a ministry. <laughs> so simple. You're a priest for God. You're a mediator for God. And God's trying to speak to us to become those kind of priests that represent him well. More like Samuel, not like Hophni and Phinehas. So our creator God is speaking, and he deserves our loving obedience, and it's foolish to ignore our calling like Eli's sons did. And he tells us their story because he wants us to avoid their mistake. So God is speaking. We need to heed his warnings. I want to read beginning again at verse 22. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. 
So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not good, a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with all men. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribe for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made before my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. We'll stop there. God speaks clearly and reveals himself. Do you believe that? David wrote, or the psalmist wrote that in Psalm 19, that the heavens declare the glory of God, and that that speech, that declaration, that evidence that God is there is heard everywhere around the world. So people are without excuse. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. But we ignore it. The Jews, the Hebrew people, had a special privilege of God sending messengers to them. They, they were the ones who heard God's words. They got to record God's word. They have this special privilege, but they take, have not taken advantage of it. They have not listened to it very well. Hannah spoke the word of God in the temple, or excuse me, the tabernacle. She was worshiping the Lord. She was praying. Eli saw her. Her prayer was answered. She gave this testimony, kind of like the baptism people did today, those who got baptized. They gave a testimony. She was declaring in her song of praise, her prayer, of what God had done and what God will do for all who trust in her. God was speaking through Hannah to Eli and his sons, but they weren't listening. I think Hophni and Phinehas were there when she probably gave that sacrifice and dedicated Samuel to the Lord and gave him over to Eli. They were there. They maybe heard that song. At least Eli maybe told what he had heard, how Hannah had prayed and how her prayer was answered, and now she was dedicating the son, keeping her vow. God was working, and Hophni and Phinehas were not listening. Eli rebuked his sons. We just read that. He said, how are you doing this? I mean, the pagans in the land, they, they had worship services that had prostitutes involved, and they were doing the exact same thing in God's house. They were using women for their pleasure. Instead of leading them to God as they were supposed to, as priests, representatives of God, they were using them for themselves. They were getting rich on God's sacrifices. They were despising God. God spoke to them through their father's rebuke, but they didn't listen. 
As a matter of fact, Eli was a hypocrite too, aren't we all? But he was enjoying the extra meat. His sons were, had become an idol. He put them above God. And then God spoke clearly through the man of God, the prophet of God that came and warned him what would happen, how their place of blessing would be removed. Do you ever notice that when you hear God's voice and you ignore it, how easy it is the next time to ignore it? It gets harder to repent because our hearts get harder. And God's word seems to be getting louder. There are more people in your face trying to help you, correct you. But if you turn your heart against him, if you ignore his word, uh, it gets harder and harder to believe it, to hear it. And soon God's word, there's no announcement of blessing, but it all becomes judgment. Harsher words, louder words. And that's a very scary place to be in. Hophni and Phinehas, after all these words for the Lord, still had no regard for him. They thought they were wise, but they were, they were fools. They were listening to ungodly counsel. They were listening to themselves and all who thought like them. They were gaining the world, and they were losing their souls, and they didn't even care. In chapter 2, verse 17, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. And if God <laughs> decides to call something a great sin, then it is a big deal. And Jesus said, if you know there's a sin in your life that's pulling you away from not God instead of leading, you know, it's not helping you on to God, what are you supposed to do? Well, if your eye offends you, what did he say to do? Take it out. If your hand's sinning, cut it off. Now, he doesn't mean to do that literally. But he's telling us how serious sin is. Don't keep an eye and keep on sinning. It's better to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown in hell. Dealing with sin in a family is hard, right? When you know somebody, when you love somebody, we cut them extra slack. We know and understand our children, our spouses, so we, so we have a tendency to turn our eye towards sin. But as Charles Spurden said years ago, if we don't deal with the headaches when our children are young, the headaches with our kids, there's going to be a lot of heartaches later on. And that's what happened in Eli's life. He didn't deal with the headaches when they were younger. He didn't correct them. He was afraid to pull them out of ministry because he liked what was going on, the benefits of it, even though he knew it was wrong. He put them above the Lord, and it was going to bring terrible judgment on their whole family. The warning is this. Deal with sin early in your life. That's why we have communion, and we're supposed to judge ourselves regularly. Deal with it early before sin erodes your ability to really truly turn to the Lord, before you become blind to your need. In this chapter, God's character is revealed. I want you to look at verse 25. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? 
See, we have Jesus Christ interceding for us, but that's only if we turn to God for help. And Hophni and Phinehas were refusing to turn to God for their, for their forgiveness, so they were lost. His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. I want to stop for a minute. You have a neighbor? Let's do a neighbor nudge. I want you to react to that verse. What's your gut reaction when you hear it was God, the Lord's will, to put them to death? What's your reaction to that? Just, and then talk about what it teaches us about God with one another. So go ahead, make some noise. Take a couple minutes and talk about that. What's your reaction to that? What does that teach you about God? Talk about it with one another a few minutes. Does that surprise you? It was the Lord's will to put them to death? All right, time's up. <laughs> Again, I wish I had time if we were in a classroom to talk a little bit more about it. Wow, it was the Lord's will to put them to death. What do we learn about God? Let me give you a few things I've thought about. Maybe you've thought about this and beyond. God's not like me. God's not like us. He isn't mean because he's distracted. He doesn't just judge somebody because he doesn't care, because he's unsettled or he's had a rough day. God has a rough day. He's unchanging, and his judgments are always right and fair because, as Hannah told us back in her song, he knows the intents of our heart. He knows why, what we do and why. He was seeing it all. Is God sometimes mean and nasty because he just feels like it, because he can and he doesn't have to answer to anybody? I mean, who does God answer to? No, that's not what he's like. He's not like us. He's perfect and holy in all his ways. And he's sovereign. But his sovereignty doesn't erase our moral responsibility to believe. Hophni and Phinehas had had the word of God given to them. They knew their calling. They had been instructed in it, and they ignored it again and again and again and again. And they were hit that terrible point that God can judge, that God knows that you and I have no right or business making that final call, but he knew their intent of their hearts, and he gave them over to what they wanted. I don't know what that does for you, but for me, it makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck if I think about it or a chill go up and down my spine when I realize how holy and special God is and how he needs, I need to hear and heed his word. He was patient with the world gone mad 
And while Noah was preaching and building that ark for how many years it was, was it 120? That's what we like to think it is. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't for sure, but whatever. They had a chance to turn. He warned Sodom and Gomorrah by Lot's life among those people, even though it wasn't top notch. And when the angels came and there was warning, but they refused it. And Eli's sons and Sodom and Gomorrah and the flood, and there's a lot of other stories in the Bible, are there so we don't make the same mistake. God is speaking. Am I listening? I can hear Eli's sons just saying, oh, dad's going a little bit crazy. You know, like dad's never going to cut us off from, I mean, he's as guilty as we are with the sacrifice stuff. So he can't say a whole lot. Yeah, I guess his hypocrisy made his statement kind of weak. But it was true. Oh, don't worry about dad. He's just getting old. He's getting close to the grave. You know, this Samuel, yeah, he's a sweet kid, prayer, you know, miracle. Dad's dad's talking about God doing this special miracle, but, you know, he's getting close to the grave. He's got to get serious with God, but we've got time. God hasn't done anything. He's not going to do anything. Don't misread God's patient grace that he's not there or that he's impotent, doesn't have the power to do anything. He only doesn't do anything because he's merciful and patient and wants to save us rather than destroy us. God has spoken. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Know Jesus and know his story. I want to read some very familiar verses to you this morning, but I want you to think about them in light of Eli and his sons. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. How's that working out in Hophni and Phineas's life and Eli's life? Well, we're going to see. But think about yourself. Are you in the light? Are you still in the dark? Do not take God's favor lightly. As priest, Eli's household was to point people and help people toward God. You can do that. But instead of enriching the nation of Israel, instead of helping people come close to God, they were dragging them down to hell with them to the mire, to the mud, to the pit. 
those sisters that were serving at the tabernacle, instead of leading them to God and his holiness, they were dragging them down to death. We have a commission from Jesus Christ to be priests. We have a commission from God, the privilege of God, to know him, to sit under his word, to hear it and to heed it, to take it seriously, because our God is a fearful, awesome, terrifying God. But know God's heart for people. Know what he wants to do. Know his plans. Be able to explain Jesus' mission and words that people understand. Listen to them. Talk to them. Dialogue with them. Respond humbly to the word of God. Admit your sinfulness to God and then to one another. Ask for help. We don't have to do this alone. Live wisely. Don't be foolish. God is speaking. And he's going to judge my sin when I stand before Christ. So let that move you to holiness, out of gratefulness to his love. I want to close with this thought. Matthew 7, familiar words again that Jesus spoke. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house in the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine, you see, God is speaking, and does not build his house does not put them into practice as like a foolish man who built his house on sand. So in 1 Samuel, who's building their house on the rock and who's building their house on the sand? Who's hearing God speak and who's not? Am I listening to God speak? Let's pray. Lord God, help us to hear you to know your commission, to know that you've made us priests so that we can lead people to to salvation, to glory, to you, to life. Oh, Lord, help us, we pray. Watch over our hearts. Lord, judge us. Help us to see our sins so that you don't have to judge us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Can you stand as we close our service?